Our scripture reading for this Palm Sunday is drawn from Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. Hear these words. When they had come near Jerusalem and had reached Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, just say this, The Lord needs them, and he will send them immediately. This took place to fulfill what had been spoken through the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Look, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put their cloaks on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and that followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in turmoil, asking, who is this? The crowds were saying, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. The word of God for the people of God and the people of God respond, thanks be to to God. God. Well, I want to say thank you. can't really say thank you enough to Elaine for the invitation to be with you this morning when she uh, asked me on January the 16th uh, to be here today. It seemed an easy thing to say yes. Our family was looking forward to worshiping together in a church which has meant so much to us. My wife Rebecca began her set-apart ministry here. We were married in this sanctuary in 2006. We have so many good friends who are a part of this church. However, in these two intervening weeks, I have realized just how much this invitation has meant to me. It's been like a mirage in the desert. And while my family can't be here with me this morning, they are certainly here with me in spirit. This morning, I want us to focus our time on this event called Palm Sunday. But before we do that, let's pray. Would you join me? O God, whose dearly beloved Son was greeted by the crowd on Olivet with hallelujahs, but who in that same week was mocked as he went to the lonely cross, forbid that our welcome to him should be in words alone. Help us, we beg you, to keep the road open for him into our hearts, and let him find there not another crucifixion, but love and loyalty in which his kingdom may be established forevermore. Amen. I don't think I'm alone, but for years, this is what I remember about Palm Sunday and Holy Week. We would gather on Palm Sunday in the hallway which led into the sanctuary of our church, and we would process in with palm branches. Our Sunday school teachers would work long and hard to get us lined up just right and listen for that note of the processional hymn which would signal our entry. I can't remember much about the sermon. In fact, I can't really remember many sermons from my childhood. I'm sure there was one. And then later in the week, we would go back and celebrate Easter. And the sanctuary would be filled with these beautiful lilies. And we'd sing some of those wonderful Easter songs. And again, I suspect there was probably a sermon. But again, I don't remember too much about it. In the intervening years, Holy Thursday and Good Friday services became more popular, if you will. I was kind of pleased about that. I think it's a good idea for us together for these important events. But there's this other new liturgical movement afoot, a combination Sunday called Palm and Passion Sunday. While leaving 
the Holy Thursday and Good Friday services out altogether. Now, I'm not talking about this year when we're all having to make some adjustments to what we're doing. But there's a reason behind this, I think. Many people don't go to worship on Thursday night, and many Good Friday services are held at noon. While people are working, it's just too hard to swim upstream in culture. And so we combine Palm and Passion Sunday like GMC did a few years ago with the car and the truck. You remember the El Camino, right? It came out in 1965 and aspired to be both a cushy sedan up front and a rugged pickup truck in the back. In the end, it failed. The people who wanted a comfy ride bought sedans, and the people who wanted to haul stuff bought a truck. The ugly El Camino lived a pretty short shelf life. Combinations don't often work well. So for those who are going for the combination of Palm and Passion Sunday, I see this. We go from one celebration to another without passing by the cross. The events of Holy Week leading to the cross are important for us and to our own personal devotion. When we focus on the passion of our Lord on the Sunday before Easter, we miss Palm Sunday altogether. I see many reasons for celebrating this as its own thing, and so I want to say this morning this, Palm Sunday is important. This is the day in our faith which exists all on its own. When I think of Palm Sunday, I think of three images. I want to talk a bit about those images this morning. The first image of Palm Sunday for me is the place, the place Jerusalem. It was into the city of Jerusalem where the action would be taking place in just a few short days. It was this city in which a significant portion of Jesus' ministry would take place. It was in this city over which Jesus had wept. In the 13th chapter of Luke, Jesus says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather you as children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's what we say this morning as we observe Palm Sunday. The Jewish author Eli Wiesel captures the meaning of the holy city of Jerusalem in these words, Jerusalem, a name, a secret for the exile, the prayer for all others, a promise, Jerusalem, 17 times destroyed yet never erased, the symbol of survival, Jerusalem, the city which miraculously transforms people into pilgrims. No one can enter it and go away unchanged. It was here with the building of the temple that man proved himself worthy of sanctifying space as God had sanctified time. Indeed, Jesus did not go away unchanged, and neither do we. I visited the Holy Land three times with other clergy from our conference, and it's this outstanding opportunity to see because the stories come alive in ways that are unimaginable. You cannot be there without being changed. But the second image of Palm Sunday, I think, is the image of the donkey. Donkeys were known as animals of great stamina. They were valued not only as riding animals, but they carried all kinds of burdens and grain and provisions. Their small, sturdy backs could carry huge loads for long journeys. But why is the donkey important in this story? The importance of the donkey is not only found in the fact that Jesus rode in on one. The prophet Zechariah had prophesied about this some 600 years before the birth of Christ. In the ninth chapter of Zechariah, we read these words as we heard this morning. 
Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. When Jesus rides in to the city of Jerusalem on a donkey, he's not only making a symbolic point, he's fulfilling a prophecy, and he's poking fun at the royals who often rode in on big, majestic horses. In the most recent edition of the Christian Century, Katie Hines Shaw writes about this parade. She reflects what normal military parades look like with horses and chariots and then compares it to what it might look like today. Jesus did it all wrong, she wrote. Instead of entering Jerusalem on a tank, Jesus enters on a tractor. Matthew has Jesus ride into Jerusalem on one, not one, but two animals, both a donkey and a colt. Neither an army nor the rich and famous accompanied Jesus on his march. Instead, disciples, a ragtag group of fishermen, common folk, and at least one disreputable tax collector make up the entourage. Now, when I think of it this way, the parade comes into a much sharper focus for me. And I can begin to see myself as at least one who might have been watching the parade that day. The final symbol concerns the palm branches and the shouting of Hosanna. As the people lined the streets that day to welcome Jesus and his merry band of disciples, their robes and their palm branches were to be signs of victory. They assumed Jesus was going to save them from the oppressive Roman Empire. The palm was a symbol of prosperity and victory, so that's what they used. Yes, they were handy, but they were also symbolic. They laid those palms down because they thought Jesus was going to save them, and of course he was but not in a political or military sense. He wanted to be king of their lives, not of their country. That's why their shouts of Hosanna quickly turn. When he enters Jerusalem, they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But let's think about that word for a moment. I doubt many of us use this word in common speech. In fact, maybe the last time you heard it was on Palm Sunday last year. What does it mean? Maybe the simplest definition is save us. But I think scholars point to a deeper meaning when they say it also means to beseech or to pray. So maybe we translate the shouts of the crowd as we beseech you, we pray for you to save us. The people cheered. They tossed branches from nearby trees to the ground and they called out, Hosanna. They looked upon this prophet rumored to be the Messiah and they cried out to him, save us, save us. How often do you feel compelled to shout out, save us to God as we prepare for Holy Week? Or is it just during Holy Week that we shout something like that? I've been shouting it for these last few weeks as this so-called coronavirus has been sweeping itself across the globe, wreaking havoc in some 150 countries as of this morning. And if we're asking Jesus to save us, what is it that we're asking Jesus to save us from? One thing I think we can be sure of is this. Those shouting it some 2,000 years ago weren't thinking of being saved from hell any more than I've been asking God to save us from hell later, but from a kind of hell on earth that's happening right now. What are we asking God to save us from? Illness, anger, cancer, depression, debt, family strife, boredom, endless cycles of violence, humiliation, bitterness, fear, arrogance, loneliness. 
Is it the nurse asking God, do I have to go back to work tomorrow? Or are you asking God, save me? Save me from staring at the ceiling at 3 a.m. wondering why I exist and whether you do. Or do we not think that God is concerned with these things? If Palm Sunday is anything, I think it's this. God is with us. God cares about the things that we care about. I don't know about you, but here are some of the things I'm pondering right now. When will all this pandemic end? How will it come to a good conclusion? How many people will die? Well, I know personally someone who's been affected. How does God save us? I'm not completely sure, but I don't think it happens. Just because God steps into the messiness of our lives, God saves us when He comes to us in the messiness of our lives through His Son, Jesus. God does step into the messiest parts of our lives, just as God stepped into the messiest parts of humanity during Holy Week through the person called Jesus. Author Virginia Stamoen says it this way, at its best, at its best, our earthly life is like a Palm Sunday parade, a procession of faith and great expectations in the face of certain failure, or it will be nothing but a resignation to futility, our excitement is always going to be a bit out of focus. What we bless today, we sometimes betray tomorrow. It's the cycle of human life. But despite this, or perhaps because of this, we must take our places in the parade. We must relive our baptisms and renew our vows no matter how many times we break them. The knowledge of His goodness must wipe away all the knowledge of evil as rushing water washes away debris. Aware of our own wavering natures, we must declare that this is it. Heaven is passing by us at this moment. On October 2nd, 1997, my father breathed his last breath as he was trying to go to the bathroom. I don't know if it's a dignified way to die. I think we all are looking for one, but it was his way. Cancer had ravaged his body and his heart was just too weak for even the most normal of body functions. Because his death was expected, he had been sick for over four months, his funeral was planned and it took place two days later in the very large sanctuary of First Baptist Church in my hometown in Carnegie, Oklahoma. Today, I must admit, I can only remember two things about the service itself. I remember walking into the sanctuary from the side door, leading in my family, and I can remember a great saint of our church, Gene Sawyer, singing, Because He Lives. But let me tell you what I do remember as clearly as if it had happened yesterday. As my family was leaving the church to get into the family car to go to the cemetery, standing next to it, were eight of my college and high school friends. And in that moment, things seemed different. I felt like I could make it through whatever was coming next, even if I didn't know what those next days and weeks would look like, because I knew I wasn't alone. Somehow I felt saved. I believe that is in part how God saves us. 
God doesn't fax us salvation or send us an email or a text. No, God comes to us, even in this moment, even as we are indeed living our lives out of this technology that we have, God comes to us, God incarnates, God steps out of the grandeur into the awkward places and at awful times to experience life and death. God answers our cries of Hosanna in ways so utterly unexpected that sometimes we have to give it a second look to see if it's possibly true. So as we begin this holy week in this most unusual way, at home, waving what we have to represent the palms, envisioning a holy week without gathering with family and friends, the hosannas are on our lips anyway. We embark on a journey in which God, acting through Jesus Christ, will indeed save us. God saves us in many ways. And for all of that, we say thanks be to God.